once upon a time, a time that seems so long ago but wasn't really, a group of people in Palo Alto got together once a week. As they pulled into the parking lot, they waved to those already there. As they joyfully got out of their cars and into the building, they were greeted with smiles and handshakes and hugs. Someone remembered another's birthday and handed them a card. Someone else gave out some small jars of sourdough starter that they had promised to share. Two others finally pulled out their phones to schedule a long overdue coffee date. Someone thanked another for the project they helped complete. A couple listened closely as someone shared hard news. More hugs, more handshakes, more smiles, more conversation, until the signal that worship was about to begin. And then those people sat together and sang together and listened together and spent a radiant hour together. It's a simple ritual, really, the gathering of together of worship, something we took for granted before the pandemic. Our show of affection and care was almost instinctive, is instinctive. We reach out to one another, and as we learn more about one another, we know who welcomes hugs, who values a handshake, who would rather not touch but appreciates close conversation. We know who loves to give the things that they've baked or grown, and who is willing to accept the things that are baked and grown. We figure out who craves more connection than a too short and often interrupted coffee hour conversation. Such is the warmth of community we talk about in the familiar chalice extinguishing by Elizabeth Sella Jones, often shared in Unitarian Universalist congregations. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. These we carry in our hearts. Now we talk a lot about the fire of commitment. We are a people committed to justice and loving the hell out of this world after all. But we also carry in our hearts the warmth of community, our community. The warmth we show when we enter, the warmth that keeps us coming back, that keeps us in covenant when times are hard, that keeps us affirming and promoting our principles, the warmth of our care for one another. Now there are a lot of ways we show care for one another. Some of you are caring for young children, raising them with love and patience. Others are caring for elderly family members, honoring their legacy and ensuring their health and safety. Some are doing both, you of the sandwich generation. Care also shows up in our attention and concern, care to avoid damage or risk loss. Some of you are also professional carers, nurses, doctors, hospice workers, chaplains, therapists, police officers, firefighters, ministers, all working in caring professions to ensure physical, emotional, and spiritual health and safety even as some restrictions are being carefully lifted or considered or reinstated. But we all have the capacity for care because we all have affection for one another. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about affection, a characteristic of love that usually needs absence or bereavement to set the, us praising those to whom only affection binds us. 
he suggests that affection has a quiet nature, that we often take those whom we feel affection for, for granted. Yet affection also opens our eyes to goodness we would not have seen nor should have appreciated without it. It is, Lewis affirms, responsible for nine-tenths of whatever solid and durable happiness there is in our natural lives. When we show affection for one another, we affirm each other's worth and dignity and interconnectedness. We show care for their bodies and their minds and their sweet souls. And we are in a time of absence. Let's breathe. Nancy Schaefer writes these words in her poem, Mending. How shall we mend you, sweet soul? What shall we use, and how is it in the first place you've come to be torn? Come, sit. Come, tell me. We will find a way to mend you. I would offer you so much, sweet soul, this banana sliced in rounds of palest yellow, a top hot cereal, or these raisins scattered through it if you'd rather. Would offer cellos in the background singing melodies Vivaldi heard and wrote for us to keep. Would hold out to you everything colored blue or lavender or light green. All of this I would offer you, sweet soul. All of it or any piece of it might mend you. I would offer you, sweet soul, this chair by the window, this sunlight on the floor, and the cat asleep in it. I would offer you my silence, my presence, all this love I have, and my sorrow you've become torn. How shall we mend you, sweet soul? With these, I think, gently we can begin. We will mend you with a rocking chair, some raisins, a cat, a field of lavender beginning to bloom. We will mend you with songs remembered entirely the first time they are ever heard. We will mend you with pieces of your own sweet self, sweet soul, with what you've taught from the very beginning. For some of you, the orders to stay home may have seemed like a little slice of heaven. Finally getting to clear your calendar and your nest and do your thing. Yet even for the most introverted among us, this isolation can be wearing. Especially for those who are not only working from home, but also trying to care for and educate children. It's been four months of virtual everything with no end in sight. And even the introverts are missing their weekly foray into the flurry of Sunday mornings. And we're not out of danger. And we're still mostly isolated and missing our communities. Dr. Kimberly Norris, an authority on confinement and reintegration at the University of Tasmania, says that we've moved from the first period of isolation, a time of panic and confusion, into the second period, the honeymoon, where it felt novel and different as we learned new technology and enjoyed working in our pajamas. But now we are well into the third period, a time of loneliness and frustration, a time of hollow-eyed stares, odd fixations, and brooding resentment. According to studies of how long humans can survive in space, 
they find that moods drop about halfway through a mission. And when there's unclarity about when a time of isolation will end, it is even harder. Because while there seem to be some glimmers of hope, in our case, what seemed like a flattening curve but maybe isn't, the uncertainty of how long this will actually last means that this third period could last a really long time. We need the warmth of community more than ever if we are to sustain our community through this long third period. We're missing the things that make our communities warm, that make us warm. Yes, we're getting good messages for our minds, hearing good music and poetry that feed us. But that's not all we go to church for. We miss the care and the shows of affection of the community that are meaningful to us. And it's true, not every show of affection works for everyone. In the early 1990s, Gary Chapman developed the five love languages, which identified the various ways people want to receive expressions of love. They are words of affection, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, as I read those off, some of you thought, oh, that one is me. And others thought, huh, a little of this, a little of that. And that's important to know how you want to receive affection and care. Because then you can share that with those around you, your partners, family members, friends, and fellow members of this congregation. You already do some of it without realizing it. Those who love physical touch ask for hugs. Those who crave quality time actually make the promises for coffee. Those who like gifts are the first in line for the sourdough starter or the freshly picked tomatoes. And it's hard right now, especially for quality time and physical touch people. But even in this time of pandemic, when the closest we get is a wave as we walk past a friend's house or chat over a phone or FaceTime or Zoom, we can express affection. For those who appreciate words of affirmation, call or text or send a letter with messages of appreciation and encouragement. Express your gratefulness for them. For those who appreciate quality time, make plans for virtual coffee dates, dinners, watch parties, dance parties. Make it special and focused on each other. For those who appreciate receiving gifts, now is a great time to send gifts through the mail or leave baskets of flowers or bread or starter plants or yes, sourdough starter on their doorstep. For those who appreciate acts of service, inquire if there are ways to help out with a, a meal delivery or help in the garden or repairing something, things that can be done safely and from a distance. For those who appreciate physical touch, you are my people, and this may be hardest on us. If you live with one who, one of those who appreciate touch, do so. Hold hands, touch a shoulder, hug, with consent, of course. For those who don't live with anyone, offer affirmations and suggestions of in-home spa days, snuggling with pillows or pets, wrapping up in a shawl or a blanket. It isn't easy. 
Showing affection at a distance is hard. The old saw, absence makes the heart grow fonder, is real, especially for those of us who count on our weekly immersion of the warmth of community. And yes, we are showing care and have been by staying home, by following state guidelines, by treating each other with grace, by remembering that what we do now to reduce the rate of infection means we will be together again. It's important. Our bodies, our minds, and our souls need care. Nancy Schaefer reminds us that care matters for our sweet souls, our souls in need of mending, in need of attention, in need of affection. We will mend you with pieces of your own sweet self, Nancy writes, with what you've taught from the very beginning. So show care. Ask for care. Ask for what you need. Make those Zoom dates, those special times, the drive-bys. Take care. Accept it. In these hard times, it's more important than ever to sustain the warmth of community. Amen.